Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast to O'Brien. Uh, both nicknames that I go by inviting you to check out miles and Jack got mad boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the daily zeitgeist miles gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans. As we discuss the latest news and events from around the league, check it out. Miles and Jack got mad boosties brought to you by the first ever Toyota grand Highlander. A warmer brotherly low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Ghost Guest Soups with myself, Greg Eubes Pierce. And now a part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. Got a great podcast for you and a little bit of a shorter one. We're going to be keeping it to two parts. I'm going to be joined by Sean Paul here in segment number one. who does great work over at Mount Westwire along with the Field of 68. We're going to be chatting with him about just what some of the takeaways he's had from some of these scrimmages have been and how much you make out of them because it feels like if a certain team does bad, if you're a little bit more a fan of those teams, it's like, yeah, it's just a scrimmage. If a team does very well the fan base of that team is like oh it's a national championship and everything like that so we're gonna try to get a little bit more of a down the middle view of these what to take away slash what not to take away and we'll be talking a little bit about some of those teams that have been action like texas and arkansas gonzaga and tennessee now i did this interview before we knew that jose perez was going to make his announcement and transfer on sunday i will be giving you guys some thoughts on that in the final segment as he's heading back up to the power five level as we had a few news and notes from college basketball from sunday that i'm going to be rounding up in segment number two but along with that we're going to be talking to sean about some of the teams they thinks are a a little bit undervalued coming into the season and how he sort of tries to balance out the human element of things along with sites like Bartorovic, Kempom, that they've got their advanced analytics for the upcoming season and how he really utilizes them in general. Now he has a little bit more faith in the analytics when it comes to a bit more of a sample size towards the end of month number one, month number two of the season as well. So we're going to be talking about that and so much more. And if you ever do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those. And first one is my Twitter timeline, generous 41 Keep in mind, let Museum. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other way. That's fine, an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast five, that five-star review. We've got this short enough to where I only have to give you one commercial break instead of two, so let's just dive into the interview here with Sean Paul, who you're able to follow on Twitter at SeanPaulCBB, that is S-E-A-N, on Sean Altogether, and Sean, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Always glad to join you, Craig. Always glad to have you aboard, and Sean, what we really saw this weekend was a lot of these more marquee scrimmages like Arkansas getting the doors blown off of them by Texas, Gonzaga didn't necessarily look so great against Tennessee, or you take the opposite look, Tennessee looked really good against Gonzaga, you had Texas look amazing against Arkansas, however you want to phrase it, but how much stock do you put into this? Because I do take a look at some of these scrimmages, and I do think that it would be foolish to completely and utterly ignore them. 
But at the same time, I don't all of a sudden think that Texas is 30 points better than Arkansas or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, like, does this matter? Sure, a little bit. It's basketball. But at the end of the day, is this going to change how I view Gonzaga? No. Is this going to change how I view Arkansas? No. Is this going to change how I view Texas and Tennessee? Maybe a little bit for the better. But I'm not going to knock Gonzaga, and I'm not going to knock Arkansas that much because here's the thing. Gonzaga, they have some new pieces. They have to figure out who's going to be the reliable point guard option to replace Andrew Nemhard. That's Nolan Hickman's job to start the season. It could end up being Malachi Smith if Nolan Hickman struggles. But that's something they'll have to figure out, and it could take time. One of those games where Tennessee was making every single shot, that's going to happen during a long college basketball season. It's just lucky for Gonzaga this one didn't count. But I did have some tweets from people. Do you still think Gonzaga is a top-five team? Absolutely. I still think they're the best team in the country. That game does not change my thoughts on them. Obviously, Drew Timmy's not a good defender. He never has been, and he probably never will be. There's a reason he's not an NBA-level projected pick. He'll probably get picked late in the second round whenever he decides to go. But there's a reason he's still in college in his senior season. It's because he doesn't project well to the NBA. He's not a shooter, and he's not a good defender in space, which you need to be to succeed at the NBA level right now. But he's a dominant player on offense, and that's going to be tough to stop for anybody. His offensive strengths definitely outweigh his defensive efficiencies there. But Gonzaga, maybe they'll struggle a little bit defensively early in games, but to close out a game, I think I like their defensive lineup a little bit because they could go Nolan Hickman, Malachi Smith, Hunter Salas, and they can go Anton Watson, Efton Reed, which is a really good defensive lineup. So they have a defensive lineup if they want to. I think Gonzaga is going to be just fine in Arkansas. They just have so many new pieces. Would it shock me if they struggled to start the season because they need these guys to mesh a little bit? No, because all the guys they started today, none of them were on the team last year. So they need these guys to mesh a little bit. I think that could take some time. They might be a little bit of like what Texas was to begin last year, and Texas never really figured out. I think Arkansas is more talented than Texas was last season, but they just have so many new pieces, so many new faces, so many points they have to replace. But Eric Musselman always figures it out, and they started really slow to start last year too. Yeah, but we all remember Arkansas losing that game to Hofstra to begin last season. I remember they had a scrimmage against a D2 school, which they struggled with as well. So that's just sort of the Arkansas way, as Sean Paul is joining me on the podcast. And we bring up that Arkansas versus Texas game towards back half of it. And I do think that that was the biggest takeaway for me because I'm still curious about how Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter are going to be able to coexist on the same roster. I do feel like we got some answers. You had five players in double figures in that game. And what I think it told me is that maybe the Kempom projection of Texas being number two, which when I saw that, I thought that that was lofty. And still, even with the scrimmage, I still think that putting Texas at number two, that is buying into them a little bit too much. But at the same time, I was sort of thinking that with that projection that we saw in Kempom, it's like, yeah, Texas does have the potential to perhaps be a top five team when it's all said and done. I don't know if it's there yet. And this is certainly a good stride forward for a team that has a lot of talent. Just question how those pieces will come together. Yeah, I think Texas is going to be good. I was in on them last year. I think they're a borderline top 10 team this season. Who's going to run the point guard? Is it going to be Marcus Carr? Is it going to be Tyrese Hunter? Hunter's not a great shooter, even though he made a few against LSU in the tournament last year. That's a one aspect of his game that he hasn't really figured out yet. He's a good scorer inside. He's so athletic. He's so strong for his size. He's a perfect Chris Beard kind of player. Like, if you can make a Chris Beard player in a lab, it would probably be something like Tyrese Hunter, just a ridiculously good defender, great instincts. He's a really good playmaker. Uh, he's great at going downhill to the basket. He just struggles shooting a little 
little bit, but that's something he can figure out. I think the best version of Texas features Marcus Carr playing off the ball as a guy who can really shoot the basketball and be your go-to scorer, but he has to be a little more aggressive. He was too passive last season, I feel like. There were situations where I feel like the Marcus Carr of old at Minnesota would just take the shot, even if he's covering, he'd still make it, like that game against Iowa on Christmas Day a couple of years ago. But he was just too passive last year. I feel like he tried to be a guy that facilitates a little too much. When that's not his DNA, he's a guy that's going to go get a bucket. But Tyrese Hunter, he is a guy that can go set the table. And I think Texas will be really good. I think they might be the worst shooting team in the Big 12, but I still think they're going to be a really good team this year. I do think that Texas is going to be a rock-solid team and probably going to be a team that, much like last year, played at one of the slower tempos in all of college basketball, which I think that that doesn't necessarily play into the hands of Marcus Carr as much as it does Tyrese Hunter. So we shall see what happens on that front and. We're talking about the chemistry of Texas, and, well, there's one team that I'm sure the chemistry is going to be much worse than that than that of Texas, and that'd be Manhattan. We just have seen it all week long, just a calamity what has happened. Apparently, there was a disagreement with Steve Massiello and some of the admins because Steve Massiello wanted a contract extension. That did not happen. As a result, he gets canned, and now we've got Rashawn Storrs, the 30-year-old, who's taken over as a coach. Somebody else is out of the fold. Omar Silviero is out of the fold. Preseason Conference Player of the Year, Jose Perez, is out of the fold for a man and team that I thought that they were a little bit overrated being number two mm-hmm. out there in the Metro Atlantic. I, I personally yeah. had them number four. I thought that that was in line. But, boy, this goes from a man and team that I didn't think that they were going to win the conference or anything like that. But you know what? I certainly thought that they were going to be solid, even though I did feel like the preseason rating was a little bit too high. Now I just don't know where this team goes from here because we've seen coaching changes happened just before the season, and oftentimes it doesn't necessarily work out so bad. We saw it with Seattle last year. We saw it with Wichita State with the Greg Marshall ordeal. The only issue is, typically, the players were advocating for that coach to be fired because they were mistreated. In this case, Steve Massiel, very much a player's coach, and it was not because the players really disliked him. Yeah, I mean, the one thing, and you can look at the talent of Manhattan over the last number of years under Steve Massiello and be like they did underachieve, and they did most seasons. They were not very good offensively. It looked like they struggled to get into whatever offense they're trying to run a majority of the time. But I will say this. I think there's a big-time value into your players loving you as a coach and really respecting you, and it's very clear that's how Manhattan players felt. I mean, Jose Perez, he said, hey, it'll be tough for me to play for Manhattan again, and then he entered the transfer portal the next day. Omar Silvera was a good friend of his growing up, uh, and that's a big reason why he went to Manhattan to play for Masiello, and he ends up entering the portal too. I'm with you. I think the Jaspers were a little bit overrated in the preseason. I didn't think they were the second best team in the conference, but the big winner of this whole situation is definitely Rick Pitino and Iona because they have a solid roster once again, a good guard duo of Walter Clayton and Danish Jenkins and then Nelly Jr. Joseph down low. And obviously they have the best coach in the conference with Coach Pitino. So I think Iona is by far the big winner of this whole situation. Yep, I thought that Iona was by far the top team in the conference to begin with. Now they certainly are. Now you'd be looking at a team like a Fairfield that might be able to sneak up. I think that Quinnipiac has a little bit of upside as well. I know that there have been some people buzzing about Siena. I think that there are some question marks with the scoring that they lose in the backcourt, but I certainly think that they're going to be a top half of the conference team as well. But boy, yeah, it's really Iona and not a whole heck of a lot else there as well. And obviously, if you're looking at teams that we're feeling a little bit more bullish and a little bit more bearish about, 
I think that it's very obvious MNN would probably be fitting the bill of a team that everyone's feeling a little bit more bearish about. But as you're taking a look at things, as you're getting prepared for the upcoming college basketball season, are there a few teams that, as you've been researching, stand out as the teams that you've got your sock up or your sock down on? I like Butler. I think Butler is a little bit underrated. I think they are an NCAA tournament level team. I think they're the worst Big East team on Ken Palm, which is a little bit surprising. I love what they're, I think Jalen Thomas is hurt, correct? So that should be a bit of a problem. But Manny Bates is going to just transform that defense. He's going to be the building block of that defense. He's going to swat shots away. He's going to deter guards from going inside because they're going to be worried that he's going to swat the shot into like the 20th row because that's what Manny Bates does. He's absolutely terrific at what he does. He's not much of an offensive player, but he is a great defender. Then you look at some of the guards they return. You get Chuck Harris back. You get Simus Lukosius. You add a good wing shooter with Ali Ali from Akron. I really like what this Butler team looks like. Are they going to be a clear tournament team? No, but I think they're a lot better than like their 90th ranking on Ken Palm. I think they're probably a top 50-ish team in college basketball this season. What do you make out of some of those preseason ratings that we see on these analytics sites like Haslametrics, like Bartorvik, Ken Palm, list goes on and on? Because I do think that they're very good to utilize because they do take the human element out of things because I do think that there's a lot of groupthink that goes in coming to the upcoming season because you see like one way too early top 25 and it feels like a lot of people copy from there. And I do think that there's a lot of value in that. At the same time, I just think that it's hard to have an algorithm when you've got a whole bunch of freshmen that you don't necessarily know what you're going to be getting out of them. And on top of that, transfers that when they go from one system to the other, there's no way that you can bank on the production being the same or them even having the same role in general. Yeah, I mean, all the algorithm sites, they do such a good job, especially Ken Palm and Torvik. I utilize those so much during the season and even in the off season. But it takes a while for those to really get to where we'll see during the season. Like, it takes time. And the Ken Palm rankings won't really, I feel like, finalize a bit until we're like six weeks into the season. So there'll be a lot of ebbs and flows with Ken Palm rankings. But like one team that I'm just looking at it right in front of me, like Missouri at 41, I'm not feeling that at all. I think they're one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the SEC, probably better, a little better in Vanderbilt. But I think they're closer to like an 80-90 team range. Like I could swap them with Butler and I would feel very comfortable with that because I think Butler's more in this range while Missouri's more in the down range. I think they're a bit overrated here. I don't think they're better in Miami. I don't think they're better in Notre Dame. I don't think they're better than most of the teams ranked below them. So I'd feel very comfortable putting them. They are 130th. Like, I think Butler's way better than 130. I think Missouri's better than 130 also, but not much better. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think that Missouri is one of those teams to watch out for for this upcoming season. Then a team like Virginia being in the top five, I can't necessarily get on board with that. But at the same time, there are some teams that were a little bit more under the radar that I was willing to agree with a little bit more as we do have Sean Paul. He does a terrific job over there at the Field of 68 joining me on the podcast because I do take a look at things and they've got a team like a TCU and Texas Tech at 16 and 17. I think that that's relatively correct. Texas Tech, another team that struggled a little bit with their weekend scrimmage slash exhibition against UTEP. I don't necessarily have much of an issue there. I take a look at a team like and Iowa being at number 23. And I think that that's a little bit more online because we're hearing a lot of people that have mixed opinions on them. And I don't necessarily 
disagree well, on that front. Ken Palm had the same thing last year, though. He was like the only one that had Iowa in the top 25. Even I was like, man, I don't get that one at all. And clearly he was right because they ended up being really good during the regular season. They didn't do much in the postseason, but they were still really good. So you never know. I mean, Ken Palm always seemed to be a step ahead at times. Yeah, Ben, I do give credit for that. And at the same time, I think Illinois is like seventh in the Big Ten right now. And I think Illinois is the best team in the Big Ten. Maybe I should be reevaluating myself a little bit, but I have Illinois as a top team in that conference. Granted, it's very close between they, Ohio State, and Michigan State, as those teams are literally 31, 32, and 33 altogether. But I take a look at that, and I'm like, man, Illinois seems really low at number 33. I agree, yeah. It's always a little bit of a balancing act, and I think that that's what's so important about this time of year as well, because you're going to see 100 people give 100 different rankings. Every analytics site is going to be a little bit different. And I think that it's all about just finding that right blend and realizing that none of these are gospel. Nobody is going to get all of this correct. And I do think that it is important to put a little bit of stock into some ECMA polls, which I will say, I think that the AP voters did a better job this year than last year when they had like UCLA at number two to begin the season, which I thought was a big giant reach because I'm not sure about you, but when I took a look at the AP poll this season, I didn't feel like there were a lot of teams where it's like, man, they're just riding the coattails of last year, and that's the only reason why they got this ranking. I feel like a bit of that is just natural, though, with how we look at things, and the last thing we're able to base this off of is what happened in the NCAA tournament. Same goes for North Carolina. I have some concerns about them. I'm going to have them top three. I'm going to have them top five in that range, but at the end of the day, they were mediocre for most of the season, but then they became one of the best college basketball teams down the stretch and nearly won the championship. Did they get hot at the right time? Or is that actually what they're going to be this season? They had Pete Nance. Is he going to be better than Brady Manick? We'll see. But at the end of the day, I mean, they were just incredible down the stretch. But there was a time when they lost to Pittsburgh at home by like 20. They weren't great all last season. We can't forget about that. Oh, I'm right there with you. I remember that Pitt loss. And then after they lost to Pittsburgh, they were able to go on a burner run. So I do agree with you. I don't think that we should completely forget about that. I personally do have North Carolina as my number one team. I have North Carolina, Gonzaga, and Houston very, very close between one and three. You could see a case where if North Carolina looks a little bit shoddy opening night and Gonzaga looks very good, I could switch that right away. Same for Houston as well. So get Northern Colorado. I think that it's that close at this point. So I think that it just makes things all the more intriguing this season. And Sean, I know you're going to be doing a great job of taking a look at everything that we're going to get this college basketball season. You do amazing work with Mountain West Wire. You do an incredible job over there at the Field of 68 as well. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and everything that you got going on in general. Thanks for the kind words as always, Greg. You can follow me on Twitter at SeanPaulCBB and everything you'll need to see from me, any content I do, it'll be posted on there. So you can just drop me a follow and you'll be up to date with everything I have going on. And Sean does an amazing job taking a look at the great game of college basketball and every time he joins this podcast, delivers amazing insights. A big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast and coming up next, this is that time of the podcast. I give you a little bit of a recap as to all the news and notes we saw in college basketball over the last 24 hours. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, get Creighton, you don't watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. 
They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of those. And then never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? See the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my game. game. <laughs> 
Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Las Vegas for Guilty Guess Hoops with myself, Craig Hoops Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Sean Paul. He does amazing work over at the Field of 68, along with that Mountain West player. Lots of interesting happenings in college basketball right now, and he is doing a nice job of being able to cover them all. So very much appreciated as he's been joining me the last two years on this podcast, and every single time he always delivers great insights. Now it is that time the podcast that I give you a little bit of a roundup as to all the news and notes that we saw in college basketball over the last 24 hours. In my opinion, this is a little bit of a takeaway. Louisville, you knew that the backcourt was not going to be good, but they lose to Lenore Ryan, who I was mentioning in the first segment. I kind of 57 to 47. I still think that Louisville is better than Georgia Tech in this conference, but you may recall I had Louisville in the bottom three in terms of my projector or finish. And at this point, when it comes to the backcourt, it is LLS, LLS, and LLS. You really don't have anything else with this Louisville team. I do think that Kenny Payne is going to be able to get things online, but this team just did not have a good haul in terms of freshmen coming in via just recruitment in general, and then on top of that, you take a look at the way that they have been trying to bring in some talent, and it just did not happen in the transfer portal in terms of the backcourt. The frontcourt looks relatively solid as Jalen Withers had himself a nice game, so you're able to feel good about that, but you know, he's the only guy that is really able to do things for this team in terms of the backcourt. They're probably going to be looking a little bit to Mike James as well, see what he's able to do. He's a 6'5", little bit of a redshirt freshman that could see some minutes, but boy, very, very bare. They are going to be rough out there in the ACC, in my opinion, and this loss pretty much just cemented that. This is one of those cases where I was right down on Louisville, and needless to say, still down on Louisville. Jose Perez, he was the most notable transfer from Man and the Metro Atlantic preseason player of the year. He has decided that he is going to be transferring to West Virginia. He brings with him 19 points per contest from last season. Now, if you take a look at Jose Perez and what he was able to do the last time he was at the power conference level, he was actually at Marquette a few seasons ago. He was a big giant flopper Rooney while he was at Marquette. He only averaged that season right around three points per contest. Really couldn't stay out there on the floor. Last season while he was at Manhattan along with those 18.9 points per contest, four and a half assists, 3.2 rebounds. Never has been a great three-point shooter. As a freshman at Gardner-Webb, he was solid, but not necessarily on a lot of volume. Since that freshman year during the 2018-19 season, he's never shot better than 29.5% from three-point range, and we just don't know when he's going to be out there on the court when you've got a relatively ball-dominant guard joining a program literally a week before the start of the season. It's very fair that you should have your question marks, and with just how unprecedented of a situation this is, at the earliest, you've got to figure that the second semester is when he would be able to join in just because I'm pretty sure that he's not enrolled at West Virginia to start with and I'm sure that that's a little bit of a process and then on top of that trying to get this guy up to speed and I mean Jose Perez no question about it he's got ability but 
Just a bad ordeal altogether for Manhattan. They went from a team that was picked number two in the preseason Metro Atlantic Bowl, which I did think that that was too lofty. I had them more around number four, but still, they were thought of very highly. Now, with all this going on, who knows what you're going to be able to get out of them. I think that the first game of the season against VCU is going to be rather brutal, and I think that it's going to be a tough year for them in general, and this just does not help out with that. And then in Kentucky's exhibition against a D2 school, you saw Xavier Wheeler of Kentucky, big-time guard for them. He went down with an injury, and he was not putting any weight on one of his legs, so this is something to monitor. This happened just before I started recording this podcast. So, one of these cases where I'm not able to give you a whole heck of a lot. We shall see what the reports are on Monday. I'm sure that he's going to get a little bit of an MRI. He's going to get things checked out. But that is something that I'm certainly going to be monitoring. And certainly not a great sign for Kentucky as they've been dealing with Oscar Shibway, who had a little bit of a minor surgery on one of his knees as well. So, for Kentucky, that might be a little bit shorthanded when they go up against Howard next Monday. But I'm certainly going to be monitoring that as you got to figure that if there's any sort of concern with Xavier Wheeler. They would probably be willing to hold him out of that game in order to try to get him for the Champions Classic. And then you also had people buzzing out there in Nashville, Tennessee as Vanderbilt Commodores. They were able to win a scrimmage over Xavier quite easily with Jordan Wright being Mr. Wright for Vanderbilt. Once again, just not a lot of takeaways for me here because for Xavier, there are a few moving pieces. It is a little bit of new coaching staff, and at the same time, you just don't know what the motivation was in terms of the scrimmage as well, and I do think that it was very well said by our good friend Sean Paul, who does a great job over there at the Field of 68 of taking a look at all of this, so I'm not going to be commenting too much on those, but what I am going to be doing is trying to get you guys all set for what is going to be an amazing college basketball season. If you've got any questions, comments, segment ideas, want to have you for this podcast, got one or two ways to be able to further this in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNNRS41. Keep in mind, let us see them. me does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline any other way. That's fine, an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated in them from there. You are able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Five that five star review. Big thanks to Sean once again for joining me in segment number two. I'll be coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. Pac-12 conference previews coming up within the next few days. And then one week from today, we're going to be having picks and analysis on every single game, every single day. So I will that into once again. Thank you so much for tuning in. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 